Greetings, Cross Point Church. This is a first for me, uh, preaching a sermon to you from uh, my home. Uh, thank you for welcome, welcoming me into your home today. Before we go to the message this morning, uh, let's speak to the Father. Father, as we open your word this morning, would you speak to us? We acknowledge once again that you're Word is sharper than a double-edged sword. May it be that, pierced to the quick of all of our hearts, I pray. And where the truth fits, may we wear it. Maybe we, we be willing to change the way we think. Let you change the way we think, the way we speak, the way we act. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Back in my seminary days, one of my professors told us when you graduate and are out there pastoring, let your people know that you have feet of clay, but don't show them your feet. I interpret that to mean that when you're out there one day pastoring, let your people know that you too have your, your own struggles. Let them know that you have your temptations, that you have your ups, that you have your downs. Let them know that you haven't arrived yet either. Let your People know that when you're preaching to them, you're also preaching to yourself. But don't go into every little detail, spelling out your sins and your foibles and your failures. Well, I guess I could say today that I've never preached a sermon that has any stronger application to me than this one. The title of my message today is, I Doubt It. If there is one of the original disciples that I relate to more than the others, I guess I would have to say that would be Thomas, doubting Thomas. And this problem seems to affect most every area of my life. It was just days ago that my wife, Willowam, was telling me something, and my response to the information she was giving me was not very smart. I said, are you sure? Well, her volume went up slightly, and she said, why do you do that? Why do you question me? Why do you doubt what I say? I doubt it. You know what? I question you too. If you were to tell me something, let's say you were to give me information about the COVID-19 crisis, I doubt it. Sorry, I would go home, probably go home and check out what you told me. This, this problem troubles me. It seems to invade every area of my life, including my faith. Am I alone in this struggle? <laughs> I doubt it. I think not. One of my favorite authors is a scholar C.S. Lewis. He once wrote these words, now that I am a Christian, I do have moods in which the whole thing looks very improbable. But when I was an atheist, I had moods in which Christianity looked terribly probable. What's he saying? He's saying, I doubt it. These past days, I've been reading through and studying the 24th chapter of the Gospel of Luke. This is the last day of our travel through the book of Luke. And uh, I found the read an encouraging read.
for me. It's a 53-verse chapter, so rather than read it to you, I need to tell you the story. The chapter opens with on that first Easter day and says, Very early on Sunday morning, the women came to the tomb. Just to refresh your memory, the tomb. The tomb where Jesus' body had been placed placed after his death on the cross just two days previous. And so the women were coming to the tomb and they were bringing spices to embalm Jesus' body. And when they got there, the stone covering the door to the entrance to the tomb had been rolled away. Stone was gone. Body is gone. And it says, the scripture says, they were puzzled. They were puzzled? Really? They came expecting to find a body, finding none. They had seemed to have no clue what had happened. The story goes on. Then two men in white appeared and asked, Why are you looking for someone who is alive in a graveyard? He is not here. He is risen from the dead. And then they went on to say to these women, Don't you remember what he told you back in Galilee? The Son of Man must be must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and that he would rise again the third day. See that Jesus had told them what would happen, but they said, I doubt it. And so the women now, they, they rush back to where the disciples were in hiding. They were hiding lest they suffer the same fate that Jesus suffered being followers of his. And so the women tell the disciples what had happened. And here's what it says. But the story sounded like nonsense. So they didn't believe it. <laughs> Unbelief. Incredible. I, I read that story and I find myself thinking, well, if I had have been one of those disciples, I would have been I would have been an early adopter. I would have been an early believer. But you know what? Probably not. I doubt it. Peter, anyway, Peter, after hearing that news from the women who had gone to the tomb, he's out of there like a shot out of a gun. He runs to the tomb and, and, and goes inside and saw that it was empty and he believed, right? No. That isn't what happened. It says, then he went home wondering. Wondering. Wondering? Well, that sounds hopeful, I guess. I was listening to King's Church Pastor Brent Ingersoll on one of his Facebook messages a few days ago, and he made this observation. This past Easter weekend, he said, because of the COVID-19 crises and the isolation and all of that, probably more people heard the gospel message than any Easter Sunday in all of history. I've been thinking about that. To many folk, and maybe some of you watching, hearing me today, the story of Jesus coming out of that tomb, perhaps there was a day when Maybe it's still true for you. Sounds like nonsense. How could that happen? But maybe now you wonder, like Peter, could it be? Well, 
the story continues. Now it's later on that same Easter day, two of Jesus' followers were walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus. And it says, sadness was written across their faces. That sounds like a bout of doubt to me, sadness. They were in a deep discussion about, about Jesus and and uh, and all of a sudden, Jesus joined them. They didn't recognize that it was Jesus. And so Jesus says to them, what are you discussing? And they said, well, we're talking all, about all the things that happened to this Jesus these past few days. You see what they were doing? They were thinking it through logically, all that had happened and trying to piece it together. What Jesus had said to them, they were reasoning it out. You know, that's why God gave us a brain, so we could reason things out. And, and our faith, our faith is a reasonable faith. Some people today speak of faith, what Christians believe, what we hold to is, as if it's a, as if it's a blind leap into the dark. Some people speak of faith as if, you have to you have to come into the church almost and put your brains over on a rack and go in and sit because you can't you can't reason it listen we have a reasonable faith we do in 1975 a long time ago i joined five others in a small group here at cross point that's back in the days when we were called olivet bob wanda Reed, Bonnie, Willow Ann, and I, six of us, we formed a group because we were all struggling at that time with, uh, with uh, issues and questions, oh, I might as well say it, doubts. And you know what? After four and a half, almost five years together, meeting weekly, 45 years later, all six of us have a stronger faith today than we had back then. You see what happened? We, we, we reasoned our way towards the faith. My own personal bout with doubt back in those days was greatly assisted by, and here I am mentioning his name again, C.S. Lewis, and especially his excellent little book, just three or four hours read. I recommend it to you. Title of the book is Mere Christianity, and, and what that book is really, it, it's, a, it's a journal of his reasoned travel from, from atheism to faith. It was a great help to me. Well, back to the story. Now three of them are traveling. Jesus had joined these two, two followers, and they were traveling to Emmaus. And as they reasoned together, Luke tells us that they, he, Jesus took them to the scriptures and he said to them, you find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in the scriptures? Wasn't it clearly predicted by the prophets that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his time of glory? Then Jesus quoted passages from the writings of Moses and all the prophets explaining all that the scriptures said about himself. Now, it doesn't mention here what scriptures Jesus took them back to. I'm 
as I think about it, I'm sure this must have been one of them. This one was written 700 years before Jesus was born on this planet. Isaiah wrote it. He was wounded and crushed for our sins. He was beaten that we might have peace. He was whipped and we were healed. The Lord laid on him the guilt and sins of us all. Jesus took them to the to the scripture. And as he did that, what happened next is what I would call a eureka moment for those two Christ followers. Eurekas simply means translated, I guess, I have, I have found it. And in this case, they, in an instant, they realized it's him. He's alive. Luke puts it this way, their eyes were open and they recognized him. Then shortly after they arrived where the other followers of Jesus uh, were gathered, and as they were telling their story, a cry went up in the room, and, and someone exclaimed, the Lord has really risen. Sounds like they believed he's risen, but now it's really, it's like they're saying, this is really, really, really true, and suddenly Jesus appeared among them and said these words, peace be with you. Now there's the ultimate proof, right? Jesus standing in the midst. I need to remind you that that's a proof that you and I will never be able to experience. We're never going to be able to see in the physical body. The, and, and Jesus commended uh, Thomas after Thomas said, I've got to see the wounds. I, I want to touch where the, where the nails went through your hands and uh, and Jesus offered that to Thomas, but said, blessed are those, Thomas, who believe even though they don't have the proof that you have. Wouldn't you think with Jesus standing there in front of them, surely no one present with the risen Jesus in the room would ever again say, I doubt it, right? Wrong. No. Come on. Imagine there he stands, and then they begin. The next thing that the, the story tells us is that they... With Jesus standing there, they begin waffling. Says the whole group was terribly frightened, thinking they were seeing a ghost. And Jesus said, why are you frightened? Why do you doubt who I am? Look at my hands. Jesus is saying, use your eyes. I'm right here. Look at my, look at my hands. Look at my feet. You can see that it's really me. Use your head, he's saying. Make sure I'm not a ghost because ghosts don't have bodies as you see that I do. Incredible, isn't it? She thought she would surprise her husband, so she showed up at his office and didn't knock at his door. She just went straight on in. And there he sat with his secretary on his lap in a somewhat intimate embrace. And she stood there in shock. He exclaimed, this is not what you think, all evidence to the contrary. And then he says this, who are you going to believe, me or your lying eyes? Now the humor in that bad joke is this husband's baffling, uh, irrational argument against all reason, saying you can't believe your eyes. And yet that's exactly what these disciples were doing. They, they couldn't believe their eyes. Haven't we all said that? I couldn't believe my eyes. The disciples couldn't 
wouldn't believe their eyes. They listened, they looked, they touched, and still they waffled. Luke tells it this way, they stood there doubting, filled with joy and wonder. Now that's waffling, right? Stood there doubting, filled with joy and wonder, waffling between belief and unbelief. Do you ever waffle? At times, faith is solid as a rock, and other times, you ever wonder, is it, is it really all true? Sometimes I waffle. My faith is strong and vibrant and unshakable, and then it seems, and sometimes it doesn't seem to take much. I'm listening to Tom Power on the CBC Morning Show Q, and his guest is is affirming some commonly held assumption in our culture today that is that is that contradicts my faith and it could be as simple as a brief reference to uh man inhabiting our planet uh 50 million years ago totally ignoring the idea of a divine creator and all of a sudden I'm waffling I stand there doubting, yet filled with joy and wonder. Jesus took them back to the scriptures when they started doing that. He took them back to the scriptures again, and Luke tells it this way. He opened their minds to understand. Hear me today. You can't go back to the scriptures too many times. The Spirit will use those scriptures to move you out of the waffling thing to a solid faith again. Well, the story ends in Bethany, where Jesus stood uh, among them, and, and then the scripture says he was suddenly taken up to heaven. And the gospel of Luke ends with these words, they worshiped him. But Matthew, in his gospel account, he ends and adds this, what I find kind of a shocking detail. Matthew says they worshiped him, but some of them still doubted after all they had witnessed, witnessed after all they had seen, after, all, after touching him, some of them still doubted. Could it be? When I was 13, I went to the York Arena, local hockey rink here in Fredericton, and uh, to hear an evangelist by the name of Charles Templeton. He was, at that time, friend and co-preacher of Billy Graham. At that time, many people thought, including Graham himself, that Templeton would be the prominent gospel preacher evangelist of the 20th century. But a few years later, after this time visiting Fredericton, a few years after standing in front of that big crowd that day and preaching the gospel and declaring to people that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and for mine and declaring that he rose on the third day and declaring that if you repent of your sins and put your trust in him, he'll forgive your sins and give you life, life now and life eternal, after preaching that gospel, Templeton left the ministry, left the faith, and became 
an atheist. Incredible. Billy Graham, you know, went through a similar struggler struggle as did his uh, did his friend Charles Templeton. Actually, they struggled together. They they reasoned together. On one occasion, Templeton put this to Billy Graham: "Billy, you're 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 fifty years out of date," and went on to insist that modern scholarship debunked much of what the Bible stated. And for a time, Billy Graham wavered. Billy Graham waffled. And then he cried out to God in prayer. God, I don't understand everything about your word or have the answers to all of the questions that Chuck is raising, but I put my trust in your word by faith. Tears stung his cheeks and he sensed the presence of God overwhelm him in such a way that he hadn't felt in many months. And the next morning, Billy fulfilled his obligation to preach. He preached with a new authority, and hundreds of people made decisions for Jesus Christ at that service. And history tells the rest of the story. Maybe more people, maybe more people came to faith in Jesus Christ in the 20th century through his preaching and his influence. Graham's influence than perhaps any other person who lived in that century. Let me share with you now three closing statements about doubt. And the first statement, I'm going to call it an encouraging word. Here it is. Doubt is universal. Charles Spurgeon, great pastor and evangelist of the 19th century, on one occasion said this, quote, I think when a man says, I never doubt, it is, it is quite time for us to doubt him end of quote. The very first Easter day, they, the women, came to the tomb and rushed back to tell the 11 disciples, 11 remaining disciples, who had been traveling with Jesus and heard everything he said for three years, they didn't believe it. Doubt is universal. Those original disciples, Martin Luther, C.S. Lewis, Billy Graham, me, I can't believe I just put myself in that group. Everyone. My point is that everyone battles with doubt now and then. Doubt is universal. And I call that an encouraging word. Everybody doubts sometimes. Here's the second. The second statement is a, is a realistic word. Doubt is relentless. Never lets up. Keeps coming back. Quick walk through Luke 24 again. They didn't believe. And then they wondered, and then they reasoned, and then they went back to scripture, and then they were certain, and then they waffled, and then they were convinced, and then they stood there doubting. Then they worshiped, and some still doubted. Mother Teresa frequently wrote of her loneliness. She wrote of her not hearing from God and she also wrote about her, her doubts about her own faith. Doubt is relentless. And here's the third statement, and I'm calling it a hopeful word. Doubt is cathartic, or can be. And, and I use that word cathartic. It, it can be a faith booster. The giants of the faith that, that I mentioned moments ago 
Martin Luther and C.S. Lewis and Spurgeon and the rest, they made their doubt work for them. They integrated doubt into their faith. What am I saying to you? I'm saying to you that they, yes, they stumbled at times, but they, they stumbled forward. And that gives me hope. It has, it has been my, through the years, my struggle to believe that has strengthened my faith. Ah, uh, friends, I know, sometimes it seems like the whole world doesn't believe. Can I quote C.S. Lewis one more time? He said, when the whole world is running towards a cliff, he who is running in the opposite direction appears to have lost his mind. I believe, I believe, and I believe that in these days, this pandemic ongoing, that God is up to something significant in the minds and in the hearts of tens, hundreds of thousands, perhaps millions of people in our day. And many, many people that are, uh, who are running towards the cliff are, are turning, turning from their unbelief. And they're, many of them are wondering. Many of them are reasoning. And many of them, perhaps some of you hearing me today, are believing. I believe. I believe. I'd like for us to close this message. I'd like to close this message by reading to you the Apostles' Creed. It's just a declaration of what, of what we believe. And it's going to, the words will appear here on the screen in front of me. Why don't you, why don't you say it with me, will you? Right there in your home, if there's husband and wife together, or maybe you're alone, maybe the whole family's in the room. But would you say it with me? Would you declare it right out loud? Say it with me. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. I believe. Do you believe?